This is the Educational Triage Podcast. There has to be something that we can do in order to help teachers mend their torn psyches. Because some of them, I mean, and I'm not talking about patchwork quilt. I'm talking about (laughs) figuring out a way to actually heal them. Mm -hmm. Because nobody thinks that they're broken. Because teachers are very good about being professional and not bringing their work, their their outside life into the classroom. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Christy Goodell, Hello. Philip Summers, Aloha. and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. And welcome back to Educational Triage, where I am joined by the sensational Philip Summers. Aloha. And the glimmering Christy Goodell. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That wasn't a PBS voice, as you promised from the sorry, last week. Hello. There How we are. are you? Yes. Sorry. I'm working <laughs> hello. Anyway, so a couple of weeks ago, we did the show on educator burnout, and we decided that we really didn't hit everything that we really needed to, and that it was a much broader topic and uh, things that we can do in order to help resolve some of these situations or some of what is creating the burnout in educators. And by educator, I mean anybody who works with the students in the school. That includes administration, teachers, support staff. Um, Yeah. So let's go down the new lines of what we're looking at. Um, Let's start, well, it began pre-pandemic, but... Oh, yeah. But let's just use the pandemic as a springboard in a sense, because teachers were already feeling as though they were being asked to do an incredible amount more and more and more. And my first question to you, uh, and this is pre-pandemic, do you think, because we talked about how education works with students and puts them into some sort of a compliant nature where we're asking students to comply rather than, um, yeah, it's about compliance. It's about Mm -hmm. falling into line and doing what they need to do. Do you think that the same thing is being done to educators for them to comply? So that, sorry, keep going. (laughs) Because we have the standardized testing and it seems as though everything is being chipped away to make everybody into this mold. This is waiting. Yes. Yes. I, I was thinking so that myself. So teachers absolutely actually. are being, yeah. yeah, teachers are being asked to comply in various categories for sure. Well, there's just a general loss of autonomy. It's for, mm-hmm. for example, when I started to teach, <laughs> I, I, I just, I was, when I remember something that impressed me greatly when I was in grad school, there was a group of us over at, um, we were at the International Studies Magnet in the Portland Public School District where I was going. And there was a group of us. I was doing that because I was studying black studies and and um, and kind of a general studies that way. It was sort of social studies with an international look on it. And, and I was studying African history. And, and this one guy was retiring and he had a whole file drawer full of economics um, curriculum. And it was all derived from research and, and lesson plans that he had derived, you know, over the years he had created and lessons that he had uh, taught and, um, refined. And he had said to the interns, you're welcome to it. 
And I wasn't particularly interested because econ wasn't my shtick, you know, but I remember it uh-huh. feeling really valuable. Like, oh my goodness, really? Curriculum just ready-made. And it wasn't a textbook and textbooks weren't what we wanted. We wanted that stuff. We wanted primary sources or secondary sources, you know, things like that, newspaper clippings and, and, and created curriculum. And, and, and that was autonomy and that, and over the years I did that too. And, and that we, but we lost the ability to teach that way. And that's what kind of happened. And you said that more duties came and we lost the ability to teach, really. Yeah, uh, I listen to a lot of teachers who talk about how they're now dictated to read from a script yeah. because you have all these programs. Now, I taught Read 180, and they wanted they want you to read from a script in Read 180. Mm-hmm. Now, kids... The kids that are in Read 180 tend to be the ones who are potentially not going to listen to you, and they're the ones who already have problems in the classroom by the time they get there for one reason or another. And you have to read this to them, and as you're reading it to them, they're not taking it seriously. Right. Mm -mm. And so you're cautioned not to put it into your own words. Well, I did. I put (laughs) it into my own words. And I said, okay, I'm going to read part of this and then we're going to extrapolate. We're going to continue to go through to make sure that we're all on the same page. Right. And to an extent, I think they appreciated that. But (laughs) they're asking teachers to do this in science. They're asking them to do this in English. They're asking them to do this in social studies and all kinds of classes now because this is prescribed teaching. Right. So rather than take the idea that because teachers are feeling demoralized because they have all this, they have this huge bank of education built up mm-hmm. and many of them have all this experience as mm-hmm. well. They're being told by legislatures, by school boards who have never really set foot in a classroom aside yeah. from maybe going to parent teacher conferences since they were last in school or going telling to the you what, school yeah just going yeah, to school. telling you what and how you're going to do your job how mm-hmm. you tell me how many other professions have this do yeah i'm trying to think like maybe in medicine but that's probably more procedural and like safeguards right no, it's not. Actually, I know of some doctors who are f- facing the same thing. It's the insurance companies that tell them they can't do things. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, exactly oh, okay. So that's thing. a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they want to prescribe something then, to a patient and the, the insurance company says, no, we're not going to fund that. <laughs> you can't do that. Well, you could, but they have to pay for it themselves. And so they won't do it. Well, that's true. Yeah. And then it's kind of the same comparison where like people who are in insurance are probably not doctors and they're making medical decisions. Exactly. Kind they're the making same, economic Kind of the same parallel. Right. Yeah. People on either school boards mm-hmm. or in the community or in district office are making decisions for teachers. And many of them Correct. have not been in the classroom. Yeah. yeah. Yep. They're facing the same thing, actually, in some in some cases, political decisions. You're right, Tony. I think that there's a lot of political decisions being made about curriculum being taught in schools. You know, in the famous CRT and thing, economic. my famous thing, they're not teaching CRT because that's really, right. really advanced and boring. <laughs> Right, right, but I think that's yeah. a big push by the media to get that going and exactly. Get it's just get horrendous. their haunches on fire. But the people show up at the school so boards going, "Hey, my kids aren't going to learn that." It's like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not being taught that either. Right, yeah. right. right. But that's that's a false rabbit hole that we don't need to really go down. I don't think. Right. Oh, now. we don't have to at all. Um, but it's just my example of how it's being fed that way. Right. And, and uh, you know, oh, definitely. And so anything definitely. sort of so, kind of connotation toward that becomes that and it's like no 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 <laughs> yeah i think this, i think true. the step back about what you said philip about with the parent input i yeah. feel that that has shifted yeah. over the years mm-hmm. pre yes. and post covid where yes. it used to be kids would go to school and parents are like okay i know you're going to do your best and you're going to teach them and you know you're the expert on the education and i feel it's shifted to where parents 
and, and especially in some parts of the country where like they get to approve your curriculum and what mm -hmm. is or isn't taught, which just kind of goes against the philosophy of public education where you're teaching to the public. I and have that, to say that that, that it, that seems to have changed. It's louder than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. I've had parents come in to tell me what I could and couldn't teach in the past. And we're talking, oh my goodness, 30 some odd years ago. Mm -hmm. So I remember But teaching... did they come and tell you what to teach the whole class or were they just concerned about like, hey, I'm really concerned about this topic with my child? They were concerned about a topic. With their, just their child. For that... all the children. Oh, okay. Because that's the all big the push children. where they want to dictate how, what is being taught to everybody. And it's like all parent, like as a, as a whole. And, you know, you definitely want parent involvement. Like that's a big deal. I'm certainly right. not saying uh, boo parents as a parent mm -hmm. myself, but I feel there's a huge difference from being involved and participatory and collaborative versus me and a bunch of my parent friends are going to tell you teachers what you can and can't teach. I, that, that is different. Right. And that, but that was still happening beforehand. You think to this degree, or I is do. it just getting more publication and more I think media it's getting attention? A lot more voice. Okay. Then, but because the media is picking up on it and so more, t more parents are getting involved. I think yeah. a lot of parents, um started paying attention maybe a little bit more but you know here's but why are parents doing that maybe it has something to do with the fact that parents are having fewer and fewer children and so if you only have one or two kids you're going to pay attention to what's going on with those kids because those are your little futures you know <laughs> those are the ones that may or may not put you into a nursing home yeah. <laughs> Those are the ones who are going to make sure that you're fed and that your diapers are changed. Right. You know, and that you have a place to be. But they're also, you have a lot invested in those little, in those little nuggets, right? Yeah. So you want to make sure that parents became very controlling. Mm -hmm. And so helicopter parents are becoming more and more, especially with social media. And social yeah. media, I'm, there's a lack of self-awareness, I think, um, <laughs> among parents about what they're actually doing when they jump in. And I, I have talked to parents about this. And my, I was asked at a party, I think maybe I brought this up at one point, where um, a friend of mine was throwing a party and she came up to me and she said... Um, my friends want to talk to you. And I said, why? And she said, because you'll tell them the truth and they want to hear the truth. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I said, what, what, about what? And she said, they want to know about helicopter parenting. <laughs> and How to I do looked it? At, I'm just kidding. And I looked at them and I said, are you helicopter parents? And they said, well, we may be. And I said, then you don't want to talk to me because you will not want to talk to me for the rest of the evening. They said, that's not true. And I said, Just okay, right. okay, I warned you. You've been warned. And yes. I looked at, they've been warned. I said, first of all, why are you so insecure that you need to control somebody else? Mm -hmm. Secondly, why do you have so little respect for your child that you cannot allow your child to fail and learn? Why must you make sure that your child becomes so fragile that anything that happens that you don't like or that might make them cry, which may actually help them build character, mm -hmm. is a bad thing for them. Why do you have so little respect for the people that you entrust your children with that you are always going to second guess them? Mm -hmm. What's going on with that? How do you expect your child to survive, to grow, and to become a full human person if you don't allow them the space and the time and the abilities to fail without intervening? Are you going to be there? Are you going to embarrass them when you show up at their job? Are you going to walk in on their college class because you don't like the grade that the professor gave them on a paper? What are you doing? Are you going to do some of their work? Are you going to move with them there? I said, this is overindulgence. And mm -hmm. I said, and nothing comes from overindulgence that is good. 
I said, and I've had my say. And they looked at me and they turned their backs on me and walked away and refused to speak to me for the rest of the evening. (laughs) As predicted. (laughs) Yeah. You knew it was coming. So I think and I believe that that's pretty much what's happening. Parents don't want their kids to be suffering. And think about it, too. Back when I was growing up, we didn't Mm -hmm. have cell phones. Television was relatively new. Um, Well, it wasn't that new. It was there. And it was all silent, right? Like sound hadn't been created when you were... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. No. Um, (laughs) We didn't have color television. Color television was brand spanking new. And we didn't... I remember we got our first color television. I want to say it was in 1969, 1970. Way past everybody else. Because we used to buy used TVs. Because we didn't have tons of money. And they kept blowing up. And then my parents finally said, look, let's just get a brand new one. Because after having all these other televisions, it might be worth it. Right. So we did. And of course, within a week, the tube blew. And so they had to get that replaced, but it was still, (laughs) my parents had that television for eons. Um, But we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have this instant connection where I had one parent who demanded that she have access to her son while he was in classes because she feared for his life because people were being dangerous. And I said, your son is the pot stirrer. He's the one that's (laughs) sending out all this stuff. And she said, no, he's not. They're all after him. Okay. And where's that? And so she coddled that kid. And where's the kid now? The kid is serving life in prison for murder. Oh, um, and the, you know, she, she, I keep meeting these parents who go beyond behind their spousal spouses backs and they do all these weird little things with their kids and let their kids get away with things. Oh, yikes. Um, and even I I have good friends who've, who've had divorces because of this. Um, it's all under the guise of they feel that they are. It's that they feel they're helping and being supportive. And it's such a fine line between supporting your, you know, teaching your children and guiding them versus right. like I'm doing it for it's that. It's that philosophy, like I, if you give a person a fish, they can eat for a day, but if you teach them how, right? Yeah. And so if I give them the fish and then cut it up and feed it to them, you know, like that's, you're <laughs> going too far. Just the fish um, for them. Yes. Yeah. If I chew it up like a baby bird and spit it in your mouth. Yeah. Like yeah. And so. <laughs> regurgitating um, back for them. Maybe that's yeah. the new thing. And it's, and it is really hard. And I, I know myself that I'm sure I have I have done not like full helicoptering, but you know, it's, well, I think it's hard. It's so hard. I totally get it. When you see your kids struggling, no one likes to see their kids in pain and struggling, but they also need to fail so they can figure out what, you know, what did you learn from this? What, yes, you didn't get a good grade on that paper. Do you go and yell at the teacher or do you like, maybe I should have turned it in on time. Maybe I should have started sooner. Maybe I should go in for after school help. We have those kids all the time who are like, I, you know, I did poorly on this test. I'm not going to do well. I'm like, okay, tell me what you do outside of class. We're like, nothing. Like, oh, okay. That's going to (laughs) be super hard to do any better if you're only developing in 90 minutes, right? Like you, you need to, you got to do right. something more and then here come the emails. Like, can you, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I know it's so, it's so hard. It's Suck so it up, hard. Kid. And, and we have, and we have parents who won't support us when we need to take the phones away from the kids. Cause the kids need that screen time. Cause they're so addicted. I took yeah. a phone away from a student. We had an agreement. I took the phone away. The kid was a sloppy mess within five minutes and couldn't cope needed to have that phone and so finally walked walked them down to their counselor and said you deal with this and no i did not bring the phone with me because that's going to go to the front office and the parent was furious but it's it's this codependency that people have started having and we're supposed to deal with that in the classroom and that's and that comes back full circle to our topic where if if you it's it's hard when you have to parent or teach not just the student but the whole family like it should just be i'm 
I'm teaching Mm -hmm. and educating the student. But when you have a lot of the family dynamics and some of them, you know, you need to be in there and help be a parent to these students because they're, they don't have anyone else. Right. Like we have all these stories. Um, So what I was saying is that it's sometimes what leads to burnout is the amount of work teachers have to do with not just all their students, but with all the parents and not just like supportive ones, but um, just the, I think with email, like I think, and I'm guilty of this too, right? I email teachers and then you expect them to, why aren't they answering me right away? And then if every student's parents or a third of your class do that, it's a lot of communication and they're contacting you all the time and you know, they have instant access to grades and why haven't you done mm-hmm. this? And it's just, it's constant. And so I think that constant need to be accessible and you're teaching and you're working all the time is really hard. Definitely. Definitely. It's almost as though the parents are your clients as well as the kids. Yeah. Yes. And I remember when I was doing strategic tutoring and I called it more academic therapy. And so I worked with some of the parents. I had one parent who was a terrible helicopter parent and I weaned her off of it. Things were going really well. Fortunately, this parent was teachable, but they needed to have consistent training. But even that, I mean, just having that constant, 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 constant. Yeah. It's really wearing yes. after a while. Yeah. So, but you have the parent. Right. But you have the parents who want their kids constantly connected. You have the parents who say it's your problem, not theirs. You, They're totally unsupportive. And you of, need of their course. support. Yes. And, yes. and it's wonderful when you have parents who are supportive. Um, I had one parent who was it's definitely fantastic. cultural. Sorry to interrupt, but it's definitely cultural, which I have had to learn where some some of our students family and their background and their culture is that the school does, you know, when they're at school, that's you mm-hmm. and the parents are not involved and they're not trying to be distant or, um, you know, not in contact and, and not participatory, but it's, that's just, that's just their background and that's mm-hmm. how they work with the schools and that's mm-hmm. their, their, you know, and, and the schools. And, and that's when you start working with the cultural liaisons either yeah, in your school sort of, yeah. or outside, because that makes a huge, huge, huge difference. <clears throat> yeah. But I did have I did have this one student that I was having problems with, and finally I decided I was just going to call mom. And, and so we had conferences, and I saw this woman, and she looked not very happy. And I said, excuse me, are you X's mother? And she said, are you Hunt? And I said, I am. She said, okay. And she sat down and I thought, oh my gosh, I am in so much trouble. I can just feel it right now. She said, I am a very angry black woman and I am not afraid to go to jail. My husband has the bail money. And I said, okay, I'm all ears. What's going on? She said, what is my son not doing? And so we had a great chat. She said, this will change. I really appreciated what that parent said. What mm-hmm. What is my son not doing? Or what is my son doing? As opposed to like, you're not helping my kid. Or what can I do to help? Right? Like they mm-hmm. put the responsibility on the student, which I really appreciate. Because that's super hard when they're like, what are you going to do to get my kid to pass or get him or her? Right? So I really appreciate that parent recognizing that the student is a part of it. And it's even better when they bring the kid in, right? Right. And it's because they want to make it, they're process oriented. And the parents that we're talking about who are the issue are the end result oriented. Mm -hmm. So what? My kid's still going to graduate. No, your kid's not going to graduate unless they get these things done. Mm -hmm. Well, why aren't they getting them done? I even had a parent come in to me to demand why their child was not doing their homework. You mean the work you do at home? Why is my child not graduating? Well, have you asked your child? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Why would I ask him? You're the teacher. 
<laughs> yes. Okay, yes. I've already graduated Don't high you school. Know why? I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, I've asked him, yeah. but he's not giving me any answers. That's the problem. And, the child, and, <laughs> and I don't understand why my kid has to be here. Well, let's ask the kid, why aren't you doing your homework? Because I don't want to. And <laughs> the parent looks at you and says, "What? well, what's going on here? Why doesn't he want to do his homework? You live with him. I see him for X amount of time during the day. You have them for a, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down to X amount of time during right. the day. Right. Why Can't you make him do his homework? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, right. we can. That is out but of my no, we hands. Can't. <laughs> yes. Right. I love that. No, not so, really. Can. I, mean, I can give him an F, but I don't like doing that. <laughs> That's why we're talking. Today, okay. Yes. So then we go into the pandemic, and teachers now shift yeah. everything into their, and I'm going to use air quotes home office mm -hmm. oh, yeah. so now teachers cannot escape they can't come home and just mm -hmm. just let things go because now they have everything at their home right and there are some teachers who were able to still go back into the classroom and teach in the classroom but for many, it was really difficult because they had children at home. Yes. Yep. And so they're doing double duty with their own children, mm -hmm. much the same as other people who have jobs who are working from home right. and have their children. Yes. Yep. So they're doing all these things, but it's all about adapt, 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 because they're given very little leeway and they have to work together and they have to figure out how to do. It's a total mind flip complete paradigm shift, complete overhaul of everything that they've been doing because mm -hmm. now they're relegated to a small screen and they have to have all these things ready for their students. And so yep. how do we do all that? So they start doing all these things, learning all this technology, putting all this technology together, and they're doing it at home and they don't have the relief because they go through that for the little bit until the end of the year. But then during the summer, there are all these updates. The district is constantly pummeling people with updates, 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 non-required meetings that you know that you should go to because you need to know. So right. when is your downtime? When do you have time away from work, even during the summer? Yeah, that first summer of COVID, I don't think I've ever worked more for my job and not had it been like, like I, I taught summer school, I taught ESY, I taught a whole bunch of, um, but you know, like this was, it, it was just mind boggling how much work teachers were doing over the summer and not as an extra or secondary job. Does that make sense? Like right. it was just, it never stopped. And we were still trying to figure out the pandemic and that huge culture shift of at the very beginning where remember teachers were the heroes were like oh we we get it you guys mm -hmm. how do you do yeah. this we can't and then it shifted to like you guys aren't doing enough you should be doing more you don't care about kids you're just thinking about yourselves that. you it shifted so fast it does. and it meanwhile we're just like i'm sorry i'm working 14 hours a day and we're we, we can't figure it out we're all freaked out about the pandemic we don't have the technology we've got kids it was just it was so hard it was and not only late. that but we are also our district was also requiring us to contact constantly the families to make sure that they had enough food that they had enough resources yeah how are we going to do that how are we going to get things into people's hands and then having to do the trainings for how are we going to deliver those things to those families. And I'm not saying that it's wrong that they did that, because I think that that's really important that we do that. And some but, of those programs are still going on. Like yes. we have the the food act with pride um, and it's still going on and it's feet. And now right. it started with just one school to serve the whole district. Now it's at almost all the schools and they're mm -hmm. working with communities and getting donations. And it's a well old machine. But I mean, mm -hmm. that that is a great thing that came out of all this is being able to make sure that we had families not go hungry hungry and it's also kind of startling the amount of families that need support and oh, then yeah the, and then the flip side too is about the technology we were able to get technology to all of our kids which pre-covid right. we had so many who couldn't access internet or work on mm -hmm. on a chromebook and something so i you know there were some good little silver linings out of it but oh yeah you know, when you're like right. crying because you're just like, 
I can't stare at a screen for one more second. And, <laughs> you know, I've worked so many hours and three kids show up and they're all dots on this. It was just mentally, I think it was just mentally exhausting and it was lonely. That was the mm -hmm. thing. It was so lonely. And so that teachers need to be able to collaborate and, you know, see people and to go from such a people, uh, people contact job. Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking out. Like, right. Right. To a social go, environment. Yeah. And you're going into an isolated environment. Right. And granted, lots of people were doing that. We are not the only ones who had to have that happen to us. But right. And then you read on next. Right. But, and then on next door, you have these you have these Karens who are complaining about these children who are walking down the street in their groups. Well, that's part of evolutionary social yeah. life. I mean, that's a necessary part of, you know, what they need as well. Mm -hmm. So, but because we've also gone into, into a society where we don't like free range child children. <laughs> because if we see children who are out walking around by themselves, there must be something wrong with the parents. Which like when I grew up, like that's what you did, right? Yeah. You left in the morning, be mm -hmm. like, see you at dinner. And you were gone right. all day. Oh, the other thing I wanted to bring up about the parenting is that, and not having that many is we have more and more parents who have children's schedule. You are scheduled for a play date. You come home, you do your thing. Oh, you, everything, yes. everything is under the parent's supervision, which as we know from Peter Gray from Boston college and reading him is counter it's, it's, it, it goes against everything that's in the child's best interest because children need to be able to explore yeah. and, and socialize and do things. Yeah. I am so guilty of, of that myself like full admission where it's hard to well and plus like downtime i want their downtime to be like not xbox or a screen right like mm -hmm. i would love your downtime to be reading go outside mm -hmm. right but mm -hmm. then it's just it's so hard because there's the, our community our culture right now it's just so screen oriented so downtime becomes like i sit in my room on a phone and i snapchat like that is mm -hmm. not social, dude. Like you gotta, right? And so then the parents micromanage and they schedule stuff because they're trying to. And then it just creates this like they never have any downtime. I've got right. kids that my son plays and they're on like three different sports teams and they're playing sports nonstop. Every I'm like, when do you, when do you not? You know, it's just so mm -hmm. much because we want them to. Parents want them to be have an edge over others, and so we just constantly put them in. You know, and it's not just, it's both genders, right? It's both groups. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. Like no, this. I see parents who are constantly on the go complaining about how many games that they have to go to, how many practices they have to go to. And, you know, the first comment I say is, why don't you cut at least one of them out? No, we can't do that. Yeah, My yeah. kid needs to be with their friends. That's what they do. And it's like, how is this what your kid wants? That doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't. They'll love it. Yeah. So um, we have this self-imposed penance, I guess, for having children. I know. <laughs> that parents put themselves through. But so, okay. So we have all this isolation. All of a sudden, teachers, at least in our district, we came back in a sense in the fall, but everything was online in the fall. So right. now we still have all this. We're still isolating. Things maybe got a little bit better for a short amount of time. And then, you know, but still, we were still isolated and the children were still isolated. Yep. And then we came back and then it was, um, I was asked, are you willing to come in and start doing hybrid? And I said, Sure. They just asked us you or did they ask yeah. everybody? Well, they asked me. Well, as, as, <laughs> all I know is that he called me into it. I was there and he called me into his office and he said, but do you want to do, um, do you want to be the first person to try hybrid? I said, sure. Why not? So I came in and I started and, and then other people started filtering in, but for, 
I'm doing alternative ed. And so for me, it's easy because I'm working with kids by appointment and they know how to get in touch with me so we can still do this. We have the banner all day long. And, but a regular classroom teacher who has maybe 35, 40 kids in their class mm-hmm. and they're trying to teach language. Oh my god. They're gosh, trying right? to teach music. They're trying to teach whatever. How do you get those skills and how do you work with those students to do that? And so and kids, of course, are going to be kids. And so they find all these things around and they start doing all these wackadoo things mm. with the classes. So they have to make those um less accept accessible so they have to put up all these things so students aren't like jumping into classes where they don't belong and saying nasty things etc and doing that kind of bullying yeah but here's my question even the year after we're looking at doing sel for all the kids social emotional learning so that we're because we're worried about their mental health yes and for good reason and how many teachers, because now they have to adapt and they have to take their office out of their homes now and bring them back. But how many teachers did that? And when did teachers start having actual downtime? And where are we doing the social, emotional therapy mm-hmm. for the teachers and the rest of the educators? There's been nothing. If there's been anything, it has been adding more to the plate, telling them that they're not doing enough and they're psychically exhausted. Mm -hmm. That's what burnout is. You're just, you're overwhelmed. You've had too much. There's no downtime. There's nothing that says, let's do something. Let's, let's figure out a remedy. Let's, Gee, you seem tired. Yeah, can we take something off our plate? Absolutely not, because now we have to add even more on there. Well, and we have to do all the catch-up work, right? So then our work kind of expanded, mm-hmm. our workload. And then right. you had a lot more discrepancy between kids' skills, because you had some that were engaged in it and, and did well. You had some that were engaged and didn't do well. And you had some that weren't engaged at all by the time they came into the building, right? We had some students who hadn't participated in like their math or their science class for almost two years. That's a huge gap. And I still, I we think love our teachers. We, I know we're trying so hard. Um, but we it's love just, our it's, teachers. We but love it's just them. so overwhelming, yeah. right? And then, right. And so, but so then, it's, but then the students are acting out because they didn't do anything for two years <laughs> yeah. and they're way behind. And so you want them to sit there and to be in their classes that they're supposed to it be in. Hard to do. And they're being absolutely disrespectful. They're lighting they're fires in the bathroom. Out. Some of the... <laughs> that, that's a problem, actually. I did some research. There was I, I did that sub job and they lit the bathroom on fire. And then that's one of the stories in the podcast. Well, it actually turns out that that kind of behavior was increased when they all came back because it just did. I don't know why, but yeah, that sort of yeah. thing increased. Yeah, it did because it they're did. acting out. They haven't been around. <laughs> they've got to let out. They've got all this aggression. They've got all this energy yeah. that's been pet up for a year so and a half. Yeah. yeah. And they're coming back and they're ripping out the soap dispensers. They're right. doing yes, all they kinds are. of, uh, there's, there are all these stupid TikTok challenges. Oh, and of course, yeah. they have to do the TikTok challenges. And so, yeah. but they're also going into the classrooms. They're, they're being disrespectful to the teachers. Some kids are totally losing it. Yeah. And in many districts, in many school buildings, the teachers are supposed to deal with it. There is no support coming from their administrators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And if there is anything that happens, teachers don't know about it. And I know that in our contract, if we're made to feel unsafe by a student's behavior in the classroom because of violence, we can refuse to come back to work until that student has been taken care of and that student doesn't have, can't be in that classroom if that's how unsafe it became. So that was always my first question. Is it possible for that student not to 
to no longer be in that class and to stay away from that teacher if they're doing all these flipperty do things. I mean, there have been classrooms that have been totally destroyed. Yeah. Yes. And nothing's been done with the student. It's well, that we got to keep them here. You could do it once, I suppose. There are other things. There's mental health. There's something mental health. And I think the PTSD of having that happen for the teacher needs to be dealt with as well. Yeah. And I will say that in a sense, the pandemic was a traumatic affair. Yes, for the children. Yes, for the parents, but also for the teachers. And nobody's willing to do anything about that. They might put in a blurb. Yes, you can get some mental health help if you need it. Here's the number to call. That's not enough. That's not being supportive. Uh -uh. So I think retreats. I think having stuff. I think we talked about this, didn't we? Well, yeah, right. (laughs) Okay. But um, because when you see that, that teacher teacher attrition is up 52% in some districts. Mm-hmm. When you and say, just for our listeners, what do you mean by that? 52%? People who are leaving the profession. Got it. Yep. Just yeah. sure you're all They're up people. over 52%. Now, there's a lot of districts who are filling those positions right and left because there are people that are coming out, but the enrollment rate is way low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have enough substitutes. Yeah. Um, I know that our district was going for high school graduates as substitutes. There, uh, there's, there are, there's at least another state that I saw that may be doing the same thing. That if you want to be a substitute teacher, you must show proof of a high school diploma. Mm. You don't even have to have any college credits. I. Yeah. So, I mean, if valuable. it's that dire, mm. if it's that dire, instead of going that direction why don't you go in the direction of how do we how do we remedy the situation rather than right how do we fill the hole because i could i have a hole in my wall okay so i'm going to throw in dirt from my yard (laughs) and build that up and then i'm going to put in some kind of play-doh on top of that that'll take care of it i'm not going to actually repair it (laughs) dirt from my wall i love it (laughs) Well, it's true, actually. I mean, Any old dirt will do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, people. Let's be real. If we paid over it, who's going to know the difference? We just add a little orange peel texture and yeah, we're good. It's cost effective. Um, you don't yeah, have to maybe, pay for it. Not it's not the, now. But not in the long run. Not in the long run. It's oh, sh- sh- we'll be dead by then. We'll paint over it and sell the house. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we'll be dead. We'll. So, it's I mean, short-sighted. But are we doing, are we doing, are we doing anything that where people feel as though they're being heard? Are we doing anything where people are feeling valued? Don't give us food. Right. Why is it always food? You know, Okay, we have food for you. Well, yeah, but is that really healthy food that we need to have? Well, healthy food's expensive. Well, so <laughs> is a person's soul. So is their psyche. Healthy food is expensive. So is fixing the house. So let's put dirt in there and put frosting yeah. on it. And you can eat that. Right. So, I mean... Why do we take away teachers' autonomy unless we're going for compliance? Why mm-hmm. are we doing all these things unless we're going for compliance to make them feel so defeated that they will agree and to anything yeah. because so many of them feel so caught that they can't afford to leave because they're underpaid. Even if you even if yeah. you upped a teacher's salary by ten thousand dollars a year automatically next year, they're still probably not going to be able, that's still not going to be enough to make them feel Mm -mm. valued. You've got to do something with the system. And there are districts that are now giving out bonus signing bonuses for coming into the district and starting people out at a higher salary than many of their experienced teachers are getting. And so it's demoralizing. Right. Yeah. I mean, you want to, we need to keep our veterans. And so, or I mean, all of our teachers, right? And so the retention bonus, I think, is super 
important not just for the new the new employees but you know you got to value your people who have who've been through this and are still staying well, I appreciated my retention bonus on the day before my official retirement went through. <laughs> but, you know, you recognize, you know, right? But we're like, yay, thanks for staying the whole time. Um, but yeah, there's just, you know, it's, there's just so much with the, with the burnout. We're being asked to do so much more. And then the, the resources that we re- like with all the mental health and the social emotional, you know, we need more social workers in school psychs in our high schools. We need more than one. You know, one person cannot serve the needs of 2000 people. You need more. And until you do that, then it falls on the teachers who also need to teach and do state testing and do Mm -hmm. all this other stuff. And it's just a lot. And then when the student's not doing well, then they want us to build relationships with the parents as well as the kids, which I support. But now you're calling home. When you do that, you've got to do that either during your prep or you got to do it after school. And I remember one of our co-teachers and remember Tony in our department chair meeting one time was just like, I'm calling for hours after school because I'm either because there's so many kids who are struggling and are in need and I'm trying to do the right thing by calling home. And she and she was like, it's taking me hours to mm-hmm. do this, mm-hmm. which and there are parents that will block your numbers. They recognize, right? And if you're only getting calls, and I get that. I actually talked to a mom who started crying because I called home about her student, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you could just hear in her voice, she's like, ah, yes. And I'm like, I'm, and I, right off the bat, I'm like, I am calling with good news. She's like, really? I'm like, yes, we've been working with your student for like months, and this is in May. I'm like, the student had a really good, for him, he had a really good day. I just, when I told the student I was going to call home, like, I just wanted you to hear this phone call. And she started crying because she's like, I never get these calls. It's always about his behavior and how he's not doing blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I know, because I had to make those calls as well <laughs> about him. Um, but you know, a lot. you're right. A lot of the parents are like, I just can't take anymore. I'm getting overwhelmed with emails and phone calls. I'm blocking it. And, you know, parents are overwhelmed as well. Well, that's the good part about alternative ed is that there are fewer teachers, in a sense, for each student. And so I tried to send home, I tried to send home emails where I remember I got a brand new kid and within three weeks I sent mom an email home and I said, thank you so much for what you've done with your student because here are the positive aspects of what's going on with him. And I just went right down the line. And I said, you know, he has stuff that he has to work on, but so do we all. So just another thank you for bringing him to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the next day the kid came in and he said, you emailed my mom. And I said, yeah. And he said, you made her cry. And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you like that? And, I, and our secretary said, yes, he likes to make people cry. And I said, well, it was for the right reasons. But there has to be something that we can do in order to help teachers mend their torn psyches. Because some of them, I mean, and I'm not talking about patchwork quilt. I'm talking about <laughs> figuring out a way to actually heal them. Because nobody thinks that they're broken because teachers are very good about being professional and not bringing their work, their, their outside life into the classroom. Um, right. And so it's this stuffing of their feelings, which we know is really unhealthy. It's their being able to put on a mask and not demonstrate that. And Philip, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, because you mm-hmm. worked with many of the same students that yep. I did in the past. Yes, yes, yes. In Absolutely. Residential. And, and so you know that that only lasts for a certain amount of time before there's a huge breakdown. Eventually, yeah. There's got to be some support somewhere. Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. seems like so it, it just went away, if think- not turned uh, on us. So. So what do we do for support? How do we get, what Mm. supports do you, do either of you think, or what kinds of, I I don't want to say activities, what kinds of 
what do you think we need to do? What would be some good actions on the part of districts in order to help teachers? You need to hire. You need to hire more of your support services. You need to hire more learning specialists in your buildings. You need to hire more um, school psychs, especially at, you need to have at least one per building at middle school and you need to have at least two, if not more at your high schools. Um, You need to have, um, I feel you need more counselors, right? Counselors do a ton of work and to only have, I mean, there are cases our building has not even five full time. And so they're serving like 400 kids. And that is extremely difficult to do and manage. So you need more of them. I think you also need more. um, We've said this before. You need more alt-ed or CTE classes. You need to hire for that. And a lot of that, that's building, right? Like I would love to have culinary in our building, but we don't have the facility for it, right? So a lot of that's like bond measures and blah, blah, blah. Um, But I think we just, you got to just, we got to hire more of those support that helps keep our students regulated and help deal with the trauma that's going to be lasting for quite some time. And so until you do that and be able to address the, emotional and mental health needs of our students, you can't, it won't show well in your academic classes. A kid that's traumatized, I don't care what you do, they can't sit in the class for 90 minutes and expect to just soak in chemistry. It's just not going to happen. And if they don't have a person to go talk to or a place that they can go where they feel safe, it's not, that learning will not happen, no matter how much parents say, teach the basics. So, I mean, that to me, right off the bat, we need to have more of. And I think the other thing too is kind of like systematic. We need to um, kind of look at our our grading practices, which is a whole nother podcast. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know. I was but- trying to get on the grading practices. <laughs> I was trying to get the team from the state to come in and talk about grading equity. Yeah. Because they have a whole team around that. Mm -hmm. And because of political reasons, they're not able to. Oh, that's 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 a bummer. It is. It is. So um, because it was what's the need? How do you see it? What's the reading? Um, How do we go about this process? Then just basic questions. But they were told, no, um, it's for. Yeah. Oh, they didn't want to get into it. Oh, yeah. I think Christy hit on it though. I, I think education's expensive. It just is. And yeah. we're we're not funding it correctly. We're just not funding nope. it. Right. Well, just here's not. Here's a question. Yeah. Why are we sending what and this is this might bend a few noses. <gasps> we're sending between one point two to one point five billion dollars a month mm-hmm. to Ukraine. If we if we sent if we paid half that per month and put that into education, yeah, yeah, wouldn't we be better off? How amazing would that be? Oh yeah, if you think about how much money that is, we put so much more into defense than we do education. That is so so very true. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. that's what. Yeah, because why? Why? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that the money's got to come from somewhere, and I can't even pretend to yeah. say where it, it shows. Should, but it you know, it just shows that we're not the education is not the priority. Unfortunately, exactly, exactly, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, we don't. We how do we set our priorities? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I mean, th- that right, right out of the gate is what how you can. Because we're asking our teachers to do so much more than teach. So if you can have more of those support systems in your building to help with our students' needs and our families' Mm -hmm. needs, Mm -hmm. then that hopefully takes some of that pressure and responsibilities off of the teachers so they can just focus on education and the teaching. But it's hard where you have... You know, I'm in classes with my co-teacher and we have a really good system where like 
literally one of us is kind of addressing the behavior and the emotional needs of the kids simultaneously while the teaching is happening. Mm-hmm. And if one of us wasn't there, the whole class would, would shut down right. because that's just what those, our kids need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I'm just like, oh my gosh, I feel when, if it's just, and if it's just one of you, you know, one kid has a huge meltdown. If you're just the only teacher, now the whole class stops and learning has stopped for everybody. Whereas if you have another person in there, so that could be another thing. Can we hire more, um, you know, they're called different names in different districts, but you LS learning like assistance, right? Like your, it's, it shouldn't just be for special education classes or ELD. Like there are needs in across the building. Can that be, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the equivalent of like elementary school always has wonderful parent volunteers that come in and that kind of dissipates by the time you get to the high school level. Right. And so, you know, can you have trained staff in there supporting in our classes in some capacity and you know some teachers like "Ah, i don't want anyone in my room but like if they're there for a specific purpose in certain classes or i'm gonna have a designated spot in my building where kids can regulate or even just a testing center some buildings don't have a place for kids to go i've been absent for x y and z Um, I'm coming back. I now have to figure, I have to miss class to take a test or I have to come after school, but I can't. And so if you had a spot where kids could go and just take their test and it's staffed and supervised, right? And then, Mm -hmm. I mean, just little things like that, that would, and I know a lot of buildings have that. I'm like, thank you. That's really smart. Or, yeah. Or even maybe a program that's, there to help students catch up to where they should be mm-hmm. for their classes. Yeah. Like Can a, you have that staffed? An academic support necess- center or something. Which would be fantastic that's there during the day. So if a student's not making the mark in a special, in in one of the major components of, let's say that they're doing algebra and they don't get this one piece right this that they one... need in the scaffolding yeah yep yep they go over there until they learn it and then they can come back and they get a little bit of what else they're missing while they're there yeah. so that when they come back they're not still behind the eight ball right they're a little further ahead right and it doesn't you know if they are working after school or they have transportation after school mm-hmm. or they have jobs after school or sports or all that stuff you're not you're you're not disrupting that, which for many students, it dysregulates them, makes it harder. But if you can have it be normalized within your day where everyone can access, it's not just like, oh, here comes this group, losers, right? Like, hey, I missed my IB exam because I was sick. And so instead of, right, because that's a whole nother level of stress for another population mm-hmm. of students. Hey, instead of having to stay after, which I can't do, I can do it here and it's 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 predictable right you're not trying to like jam it into their day and i i just think those kind of things just seem so logical and they have them at college right they have testing centers well yeah in college it's yeah it's it's normalized it's just the way it is Mm -hmm. um and so and again but right now for so many it falls on the teacher to give up either their morning their afternoon their lunch their prep so that i can help the student as opposed to, hey, here's a staffed place that they can get help on their essay or they can take their test or make up this lab or whatever. And then it's not falling on. Look at this. I'm, we're solving all the problems. Got it. Done. Done. Possibly. <laughs> we just have to get the money, like Philip said. Yeah. But the <laughs> nice thing about alternative ed is that you already have that. You should already have all that built in. Right. In a sense, just from the uh, just from the overall structure. Right. Yeah. A lot of what I'm saying, you kind of have that in alt ed. I shouldn't say you alt ed tends to already have that built in. So we just need Mm -hmm. to have that mirrored within the gen ed setting because a lot of students they're so the academic gaps right now are so huge that we're going to need to figure out a way to get kids caught up where they aren't also missing their current instruction as best we can while recognizing that they have a, like you were saying, Philip, that they have so much after school because they're so overscheduled and you can't really change that. Or they watch their little brothers and sisters and they can't stay after that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. anyway, those are some Definitely. ideas. Philip, what are your ideas? You. How do we solve it all? Go. 
No, I think those are good ideas. I think just I was listening <laughs> to you fundamentally talk about we need to pool our resources and get more resources. I mean, yeah. like you said, there's yes. so many wishes. I didn't have that many because I was just working in a classroom and mine was just curriculum based, but I would sure like another um, a rock wall. That's all. You know, I just oh, a rock <laughs> it didn't cost much. It was, it was nice. I afforded it back then. I could afford another one. It would be nice. Yeah. I just, we needed, yeah, it just, everyone was doing, if you think about it, you're doing two or three other jobs, really, honestly. So yeah. as a teacher, you know, oh, you just need to teach. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That would be nice if they let us. Right. So, with that being said, we need to say adieu. <laughs> so, Mrs. Goodell, thank you very much. You bet. Mr. Summers, thank you. Thank you. And stay and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. And our next week's episode will be on building community. And. For everybody's information, lest they don't know, it was reported this week that in his new bill, President Biden did specify that 250,000 tutors should be ready and available for districts across the country to help ease the pain of teaching. And he has some other specifications in the bill as well. I am putting the link to the article from Education Week in the show notes. So that gives us another positive step, doesn't it? Until next week. Bye-bye.